It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak on a beautiful, fine, last one before the 2021 NFL Draft Fan Friday edition of the podcast. Y'all are taking over the show. It's time for the allies of the pod to determine what Ben and I talk about for the next hour via their Ask Me Anything questions hopefully you got them in hopefully you could get in on the show we're going to get to as many as possible as we often try to say and then we go on these 20 minute rants for one question and uh actually really derailed that a lot but uh before we get into it ben my friend how the heck are you last fan friday ever uh, yep nope, crazy never again you do fan friday and then never going to do it ever again, especially not this upcoming Friday. Well, we're actually, we're probably not going to do this upcoming Friday, we're, right? We're, we're definitely not going to do it this upcoming Friday because we're going to, although the questions would probably be lit because it would be right after we day We might one have to do it this Friday. <laughs> um, no, but we'll be doing live show stuff as well. Right. So we'll be doing live stuff. Well, actually, yeah, it'll, it'll probably come in the form of a lot of the live shows that we're doing. Spoiler, teaser, little hint. Well. What we're doing? Follow the draft network on all major socials. We'll we'll get you guys somewhere or another. We'll get you on the show next Friday. But it is this is the last full Fan Friday format. Wow, a couple of F's there. Before the 2021 NFL Draft, and with that, we opened up the floor to all kinds of different questions for you guys. Like I said, we're going to get to as many as we possibly can. Some of them are about football. Some of them have nothing to do with football, but are still a lot of fun, anyways. Benny, ready to go? Yeah, let's hit it, brother. First one, Joe at work. And he said at the end of this tweet, P.S., on behalf of all the allies of the pod, when the words Joe and at work in their handle, thank you for uh, all the content that you have this offseason on Locked As On NFL Draft. As we welcome in the NFL Draft. <laughs> oh, man. What a beautiful inside joke there. Thank you for that, Joe. His question, rank the 12 months of the year based on the number of hours you spend watching the game of football on a screen. I like this one. This was clever, right? Because there's... And in-season NFL, in-season college, and then scouting work. Right. Like, not the game's live. And then there's also just, like, you know, watching for articles and prepping and whatever. So, yes, from least to most, I have May, June, July, August as as least to most, my bottom four. And that it goes in that order because once May hits, I'm going to want to break. I already want to break. Uh, so, you just kind of don't watch film. You give yourself a breather. Um, and then... In the summer months, obviously, there's no live film going on, but there's like, you know, you're doing clinics and you're studying and you're still writing articles. So those all still have some football, but no live football. And you're not really preparing for a class. So there's that group. Next group goes April, March, February, January. Really in April, like you're not watching that much film. You know, I've watched most of the guys. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I, in March and in February and in January, I'm watching like a couple guys a day, you know, uh, the April month, really, you just kind of like know or watch some late good testers, but generally you're fine. And then, right, there's no live football, so you're basically just doing film work for, for the prospects and for articles. And then the fall to early winter months, September, October, November, and then December to me is my top month in terms of the amount of football I'm watching. Because like December is NFL, end of regular season, end of college season plus bowl games, and getting prepped for the senior bowl and really starting to get into the depth of the class, like that's probably the most busy month. So 
I, I don't know. Like I, summer scouting might actually change it for the summer months, but in right. general, I think that's kind of how it gets divided up. It's like those three segments of the year. I feel like December is the big one that we're different on, but maybe you're a little bit more right than I am. Maybe I'm just not remembering December. Well, like, I'm trying to. I, I was struggling to remember because obviously this year was different schedule wise. Like how much college football actually usually happens in December? Not a lot. Not a lot. Right, at all. and then it becomes the bowl weeks, and so December might be too high. Net, like now that I'm thinking about it. So twelve for me is May. I ain't watching a damn thing in May, okay? When the draft ends, I'm out. We're done. We've got two weeks of the podcast. We're doing all sorts of videos and articles recapping the draft halls, and then I'm out. (laughs) I am taking a break before we get to summer scouting stuff. And so, like, May is definitely the last one for me. And then June is the second to last one. June is 11th. April is 10th because of what you said. Like, when we get to the month of April— I'm not watching dudes like I've already watched them. There's no live football going on. I mean, I guess there's maybe spring games, but yeah, that's about it. I'm I'm not really watching guys in the month of April. March is right after April because it's kind of the same thing. I'm, I'm tying up the loose ends when it comes to my scouting reports and a lot of these guys that I haven't gotten eyes on for the first time. And so March isn't that high. August is after that because then we get into preseason. We get into college football. We get into tape of players for the next draft cycle July is seven for me because of summer scouting. I watch a lot yeah. of film for summer scouting. So I have I have July there because it's I don't really have any opinions on these guys. You know, I, I don't even have any articles really that I've read on most of them. So I've got to get full perspective on a lot of these players. December is six for me just because not a lot of college football. Like it's only bowl games. And I don't. I don't. I, I. I'm starting to watch tape in December, but I feel like even then, like I'm not in the full swing of it for December, September, and October. After that, the beginning of the season. So you got college football, you got NFL. That's all in full swing, and then February because I'm doing final scouting reports. January because I'm doing the beginning of final scouting reports, and then November I think is actually the month where I watch the most because that's full NFL, full college football. And I'm probably starting to dive into like actual game tape of a lot of these guys for either the beginning of final evals or for some final evals, whatever it is. So I think November is the month where I actually watch the most football. Yeah. And I, the more you talk through it, the more I was like, yeah, my list needs finagling because uh, <laughs> summer scouting changes things. And then December, I was like, there's a ton of football, but really it's mostly bowls. It's and just like- bowl games. Yeah. I do watch a lot of bowl games, but still, like, I probably don't watch as much on a. a- of bowl games that I do on like on an average college football. Right. You know, cause it's like Saturday. if you're anywhere between the months of September and November, you basically have a 12 hour period, two 12 hour periods. Sorry. Every single Three week, 12 hour periods, Saturday and Sunday that you're just automatically just sitting there basically watching all the games possible. So you've automatically just got like 24 hours and that doesn't include whatever you watch during the week. So that's why I think that those are probably pretty high. All right, next question. Call me Bob asked this one. I guess I got to call him Bob. So Bob asked this. Is J.C. Horn really worth a top 12 pick? He started as a late first with some huge question marks on his ability to play zone slash his overly physical play style. Seems like he really jumped up from his testing numbers in a year where everyone is a generational athlete Plus, you have the Caleb Farley injury as well. So he's basically saying, is Horn worth a top 12 pick, or is he just benefiting on a situation that may help him get to the top 12? So as somebody who does not have a round one grade on J.C. Horn, the answer is it depends sometimes for certain teams. Because I think Horn's rise has been, you can attribute Horn's rise to a couple things. The first thing is uh, he tested really, really well. Uh, I'm on record on this podcast saying I didn't think Horn had great transitions. He tested like a player has really great transitions. I still think there are times on film where I don't like the way that he flips his hips, the way he clicks and closes when he's in off cover, but he's athletically more than what you want at the position. So the testing, I think, was surprising and, and nice. Also, uh, I've said this before as well, the Horn is the sort of player that coaches are going to love, and coaches don't really get involved in the process until February March. Uh, and so his rise has directly coincided with some coaches getting to film and being like, oh, I want this kid to physical, he's angry, <laughs> right, oh, he's yeah. good. Right, so there's there's that which I think is legitimate to his rise. 
With that said, you have to be a team that plays a heavy amount of press man coverage to want J.C. Horn that early because there's nothing on uh, in terms of the the way he was aligned and the amount of snaps that he took and, and his performance in those snaps in terms of his even off-man coverability, let alone his zone coverability, that has you fully confident he's going to walk in the league and be like, great at that in year one. Again, physical traits, you can love it. You can put him on the board. You can talk with him. You can work him out and watch his pro day and do all that work. But off of the film, this right now is a guy who played exclusively press man is built to play press man does it very well and you don't really have much elsewise so uh if he ends up a top 10 pick with the dallas cowboys it's a dan quinn cover three approach they have trevon Diggs there well they're gonna put those guys up on the line of scrimmage ask them to be big tall long and strong i think that's gonna work well if he goes to the los angeles chargers at 13 well uh brandon staley certainly played a lot of man uh but they played quarters and they played cover three with off alignments and they wanted to be able to to have their corners line up six yards eight yards back and be able to trigger down and pattern match that's where it gets dicey so i think that it, it is a legitimate rise and it is it is worthy and it makes sense and, and it's not like you know oh farley's injured let's pretend horn's really good now and i think it's got it's got real legs to it but it's only for certain teams that he makes sense as that early of a selection I think the top 12 is kind of like subjective, you know, because we could use the term top 12 or the label top 12. And, it, and it's different because of what you just said. Like you talk about teams who are around that area or who are actually in the top 12 who might get value out of, out of J.C. Horn or not. I'll just say that I think that that kind of range for him is appropriate. I really do. I mean, there are coaches all the time that talk about those cat coverage styles, right? You got your cat. I've got my cat. Whose is better? And you talk about that, like, cover one, that single high, everybody else is in man coverage. And if you have the ability to get that aggressive, it's very advantageous for you because it allows you to be very flexible in other areas. And, you know, I've talked to former guys who have played the game before, whether it's safeties or corners, and I say, like, how advantageous is it to have a guy on your team who you know every single week, week in and week out, it's like, yeah, our number one guy is covering their number one guy, and we're betting on our number one guy. Like, that is so... That is so valuable, and every single one of them tells us that not just from a schematic standpoint, but also from an overall confidence standpoint for everybody, for the defensive coordinators, for the safeties, for the other corners, for the linebackers, for the pass rush, whatever it is, like when you have that true shutdown corner kind of a player, that CB1 type, the guy who can roam around, cover all different types of receivers— it's just it just has so much value for you. And so when you look at J.C. Horn's tape and you look at how he covered the short slot guys, he covered the outside X receivers, he covered the tight ends in the slot, right? I mean, he did it all. That's why J.C. Horn has that kind of value for you. And so I, I would absolutely tell you that, yeah, like Ben said, he's he's taking advantage and I guess like he's not actively doing this. This is just something that happened. Like he's going to take advantage of the current situation around him, maybe without Caleb Farley to go up against, in which would make him more of a top 12 selection instead of, I don't know, a top 15, a top 20. But whatever it is, I feel like this range for a player that is athletic as J.C. Horn is, that has the mentality that he does, who had the success that we saw last year, that's a top 20 corner. That's a player that I think you invest in. Those are the archetypes that I think hold the value that make it really important to go get a guy in the first round. So, yeah, I, I would think that I would tell you that he is worth a top 12 pick because of what he could do for you in that defense. I agree. Not Duke Tobin asked this one. That seems suspicious. So, I mean, like, it could be literally anybody else. It's just, we know for a fact it's just not Duke Tobin. All right. He said, rank your excitement for draft day against the major holidays that you celebrate okay so i put it up against christmas easter and thanksgiving so i feel like those are the big holidays that i get hyped for okay i right? have i have more than that i have eight how i'm a joyful person ben i'm a joyful person that's why I like what's it called it's memorial every monday like, every monday is a reason to day. celebrate i log on on a monday i go wow what a great day we should celebrate this is a so, major holiday Okay, that doesn't make any sense, because if you are that way, then you don't need holidays to get hyped for. Life so is a major holiday, Ben. I don't. <laughs> Everything is delicious. All days are holidays. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, I have it, honestly. No, we, no, we want you to lie. Don't do it honestly. Lie to Draft us. day four, Christmas three, Thanksgiving two, uh, Easter one. Uh, Easter is, is like 
big lit in the Orthodox Church, uh, midnight service. We've been f- fasting for the last two months. Oh, I get it. Uh, lit. So, candles. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Uh, so it's a very, like, Easter, like, I can't wait for Easter. I'm so excited to get to eat regular foods again. And it's a big celebration of the church. It's a beautiful time. Uh, and then I'm not a huge Christmas guy. I love Christmas. Thanksgiving's a big family thing. Draft day, like, I don't know. Like, I, it, it's a very weird, you know, if you, like, were to map the excitement over time. I'm, like, very excited for draft day in, like, early, mid-February when, like, Sure. You're starting to think of all, all the fits and like stuff's getting cool and you've watched all the good players and you're starting to figure out where they're going to end up. And then it, it just kind of gently slopes down for a while with occasional peaks, right? Like the Niners make the trade huge peak. Like, oh, can't wait for draft day. Can't wait to see what happens. Can be nuts. But it generally slopes down just because like you get tired of talking about it. Everybody's discussing the same things. All of the tired draft tropes are happening. Oh, here's another NFL source saying a dumb thing. This is annoying not watching as many good players that doesn't make this as fun and then you get to that like where we are now this week of april and it's okay we're starting to talk about the live show starting to slope back up a little bit and on thursday at three i'll get so hyped oh yeah yes yeah but it's not it's not the same ramp up as other holidays uh it's like what i always talk about with the christmas season and trying to make sure i peak my excitement in the christmas season yes draft day it's more so you peak way earlier and then it's kind of a slough it's a marathon to get to here and then once you get here it's like yes let's do it that's when you get excited that's why i have my fake christmas tree up year round because every day is a major holiday nope i just thought of this when you brought up the point of of getting super hyped for the draft in february which i definitely agree with the timeline there what if the draft was before free agency right people talk about this all the time like, i think what, be- what if what if the draft was in like end of april what if it was like the combine you said, what if the draft was in the end of april sorry Funny, I, I have news i meant <laughs> yeah go on no uh so i'm t- like the end of february what if what if the combine was one week and then that final Monday of the Combine was also the first day of draft week, and then the draft was on Thursday. The people have talked about this. I think it would be like, a ton of fun. The whiplash would be crazy. But we'd, we, we would, it would never happen because the NFL loves the fact that it gets to dominate even like the NBA is going on and still all this hype on ESPN and the commercials for the NFL draft. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's still the NFL has too much of the, of the news cycle. There's no way they're ever going to relinquish it. I feel like if that were the case, like if the draft were before free agency, players would make so much money. You would have to irrationally give so many of these guys so much money to get them to come to your team because you no longer have the draft to fool yourself into like, oh, we can address this need or whatever. And instead, it's just uh, this is the last chance that we can add a player to our team. And if there's a glaring hole going into free agency after the draft, it's like you have to massively overpay for these players to get them to come to your team. Absolutely. That's what Richard Sherman's trying to do this year, right? Sherman is basically said on his PFF podcast with Colin, uh, with Chris Collinsworth. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm not trying to sign, like, once I miss out on the first swing of free agency, I'm not trying to sign a deal in late March, early April. Right. I'll wait until after the draft. Right. I'll wait until some of these teams with corner needs try to go get a corner, aren't happy with who they get, and they have to come crawling back to me a little bit, you know? That's so right. it, it, that's a real sensation. That's why Richard Sherman is big brain, high intellectual. Huge noggin. Uh, Okay, so (laughs) holiday rankings. This is going to sound awful and sacrilegious because eight is Easter for me. But to be honest, like I have so many other big family gathering holidays that happen around the year that even though like we go to church every Easter, like we celebrate Easter, all of that stuff, it's just not nearly as much of a big family event for me as a lot of these other holidays are. And so I just don't get as hyped for the holiday. Like it's cool. Like I see some of my family, but definitely not all of them. Like it's not as all out as some of these other holidays. My birthday is seven, uh, which I realize now saying out loud that I put my own birth over uh, the resurrection of Jesus, which is, yeah, actually absolutely sacrilegious. But, you know, normally I'll get like a really great steak or like a crap ton of wings for my birthday. So, yeah, that's cool with me. Six is Halloween. Are you calling your birthday a holiday? Yeah, I mean, like this is kind of like a holiday. It's things that you celebrate. Uh, no, it's not things you celebrate. It's holidays. Yeah, but I kind of expanded it a little bit because, you know, that's what we normally do. We go above and beyond on Fan yeah, Friday. Cool. One instead, of us normally instead, does. Yeah, instead, one of us answers the yeah, question. Yeah, and instead the you're sitting here and you got four. questions he wasn't asked. Not Duke Tobin asked us about major holidays and you come to the table with four? We got a whole calendar, calendar littered with them and you come to the table with four? Holiday, Trevor? Four? 
How many major holidays are there? 365. I'm jolly all year long, Ben. Okay. I want. I got the I, Christmas I'm, tree up in the back. We're about to put another toothpaste pole in the timeline. I want to know how many people. <laughs> what are major holidays to people? Because your birthday is not a major holiday. It's just your. It's it's you. It's your birthday. Yeah, to me it is. Listen, my birth was a major event. <laughs> Where would this podcast... For you, inarguably, it was. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Listen, without my birthday, the Locked On NFL Draft Show would just be you, and we don't need two solo Benjamin Solak shows. One's enough. Huh? Zero's enough, if we're going to be honest. <laughs> okay. One is tough. <laughs> All right, so my birthday is seven, Okay. I have Halloween at six because it's just, as you get older, obviously, like when you're young, it's like the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life, right? You strap on the rollerblades, you get a pillowcase, you go around as many neighborhoods as you can. Then you open up the stock market of candy bars afterwards with all your friends in the living room and you just trade it because you're a degenerate. I mean, that's great. But when you get older, it's basically just an excuse to drink. Like you get together, you dress up a little bit and you get hammered, which is fine, but I don't know. I've had enough holidays or Halloween's at this point, so that's six. Five is New Year's for me. I really like New Year's. Um, again, it feels like it's kind of the same thing with Christmas with me. Everybody's just in a really good mood. You know, it's like the end of uh, of a year. I think people are off work. They're seeing family. It's a reason to be happy, and I just like I love that time of year. So, uh, New Year's is five for me. July fourth is number four for me, just because growing up in Florida, it's a big like. Head out to the beach like you're in the sun all day, sit on a boat, whatever it is. Like that's just like vintage kind of Florida living near the water kind of a holiday for me. So I love July 4th. Three is Thanksgiving, obvious reasons, big family, big food. Christmas, the same thing, except you get to throw in probably more food, more family, and also potentially presents in there depending on uh, on what you guys do. And the number, I have number one is draft day just because I feel like that was the, uh, that was the point. This is this massive lead up and. You know, to what you were saying with the buildup of certain things, I definitely feel like there's peaks and valleys to it, but I'm I'm with you. I get really, really excited about the draft. Like, we're going to fly into where we're going on Sunday and Monday, and we're going to get in the studio with everybody, and it's just going to be like... Are we not allowed to say where we're going yet? I'm giving them little, I'm giving them like little nuggets, like here and there, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just like, I'm just like, so then, you know, the people out there, they'll be like, there it is, there's another nugget. And they've got like, you know, like a a chalkboard in the back of their room and they write it down, you know, you're just trying to figure out things. Charlie from Always Sunny. Right. No doubt, no doubt. For sure. So yeah, I got draft day at number one, but I could, uh, I could see what you were saying about the highs and lows of it for sure. All right. We are 20 minutes in this podcast, so we got to get to at least one ad read. Now that we're 20 minutes in, this episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at a fair price point. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. This collection features high quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight is also, of course, fairly priced. So you can give that special someone something that is truly meaningful if you're on the hunt for the perfect and unique ring that your significant other will treasure forever you're definitely going to want to check this out they won't be around for long so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at bluenile.com more fan friday questions coming up after the break TurboTax experts make your moves count this is david harrison of the locked on commanders podcast and this locked on podcast is brought to you by TurboTax. no matter what moves you made last year TurboTax experts will make sure that they count for you. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? Well, that's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That is a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? That quite literally would be a move. Or maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or you switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or maybe you just rode the stock market to the moon and back. Any of those things that you did or any other moves that you made TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and every deduction you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy and getting you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax today. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. 
This year, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network, that's us, to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Once again, that's us. Subscribe to Locked On NFL's YouTube page and watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft, also us, April 29th through May 1st. See? Little hints, little nuggets there, Ben. I'm just like giving to them. They're just like, wait, they said it again. They said the live stream. Oh my gosh. It's going to happen. I like how we're acting as if they're surprised that we're doing a live stream for Draft Week. I know. Like we've done it like the last three years. Brad asked this one. Thoughts on Tom Brady's take? On the new number rule, especially for Trevor, I feel like I've done a lot of talking lately, though. So Ben, you can you could give your uh, your opinion first. So Brady, for those people who don't know, is really definitely pissed off about this. Uh, it the new number rule allows defenders, defensive backs, and linebackers to essentially have the same range of numbers, right? I mean, this it's what like one through fifty, I want or one through fifty nine. A would lot say. of a lot of positions are now just one through forty nine. Right, but linebackers can still wear numbers in the fifties, right? Uh, yes, yeah, they have to be able to still wear numbers. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, I'm trying to see if I can find a quick list of it, and there's nothing that's showing up immediately. But anyway, basically, there's going to be a lot more. Uh, 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 the lines between positions in terms of what numbers are allowed to wear are are much more blurred, and so when you're stepping up to the line of scrimmage as a quarterback. Uh, you're going to see a lot more single digits. You're going to see a bunch of dudes wearing six and eight and nine and you know guys up at the line of scrimmage wearing four and guys back behind the line of scrimmage deep middle wearing 43. And that's not what we've typically been used to seeing. And so Brady is complaining about the uh, apparent swing, like unfair rebalancing of the competitive balance of being able to ID the mic like I don't understand at all what his problem is because I'll tell you you what his problem is Tom Brady has dominated the game of football at the professional level for the last 20 years like he has like he has been the greatest quarterback to ever play this sport for the last 20 years Hell no, he doesn't want anything to change. Why would he? He's already mastered right, it. But what, what does this effectually do? It's, it, it is, look, I am I am 100% with you. I want to be very clear here. I am team, let players wear whatever the hell they want. And I feel like especially moving forward, it's not going to be that big of a deal. But for the people who live in the past, then it's going to be somewhat of a change for them. Brady does not want anything to change in the last two years of his career, especially when he is still ring chasing. So the reason why he's super pissed about it is because he doesn't want to have to deal with it. He is old man yelling at cloud. He's like, hey, you kids back in my day. Like that's what Tom Brady is doing right now, except with it's, it's with Super Bowl rings on the line. That's why he's so mad for us. Like it doesn't really matter, but every, you know, Tom Brady, Ben, every tiny little advantage that he could possibly have to go win another ring, he's going to do it, or he's going to okay. be in favor of it. And right, this now, is just something that gets in his way. I, it does not get in his way at all. Uh, he said on his Instagram or something, I don't really know how things work, uh, good luck trying to block the right people now, going to make for a lot of bad football. What? How dumb do you think your guard is? You can't figure out where a linebacker is because he's wearing nine? Like, that doesn't... It's not... the the. Like, oh, 54 is the mic. 54 is the mic. Like, they're not, they didn't figure out he's the mic because he's wearing a number in the 50s and the other guys aren't. They figured out he's the mic because of where he aligns. Anybody on defense can be the mic when you're IDing the mic. It's just helping the offensive line point to who, okay, that guy's the mic, which means that guy to his left is the will and the guy to his right is the Sam. And on this blocking concept, because I'm uncovered, I'm going to scoop off the two tech and go climb to the mic. And the center told me 54 is the mic. Center told me two is the mic. Center told me 173 is the mic. So I'm going to go and I'm going to combo up to the mic. Like, I, I don't, I, we've, we have solutions in place for this. It's ba- I don't understand what this, it's very odd. I think it's a bit, I honestly do. I think it's Brady entertaining himself by being old man yelling at cloud, knowing we're all going to get up in a tizzy about it as I currently am. And cause he can just do that because that's like what he used to do with the freaking comics. He just like posts random things that didn't make any sense. We all, <laughs> you know, uh, 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 dissected it for meaning and there's not any meaning. It's just them being idiots. Look. Brady's Brady's sitting there standing over his lawn with a shotgun saying, get off my lawn. That's all this is. That's literally all this is about. He's just, he's just anything that could possibly get in the way of him 
winning another ring, he's not going to be for it. And you know what? If it means Tampa gets another ring, I respect it. We got Gage. <laughs> if, if, if Tom were on any other team right now, you'd be with <laughs> me on this. Uh, but he's not, so uh, I'm pleading the fifth here. Gage asks this next question. With the quick passing game making life easier, or sorry, with the quick passing game making life more difficult on speed rushers and quote-unquote easier on offensive tackles, do you think that we see a shift in importance to interior pressure and thus guard and center play, especially in terms of salaries? In terms of salaries, no, at least not on a small uh, uh, time horizon, maybe long term. Yeah, yeah, uh, I have the same. I came to the same conclusion. Right. Uh, it's So it's possible in that sense. I will say that I do agree from an overarching level that the quicker the ball gets out, the less valuable edge pressure becomes and the more important it is to be able to disrupt the interior of the pocket. A quick ball coming out means we're on a one-step max three-step drop. Even if we're in the gun, if we have an effective interior rusher who can rush with power, we can put a player in that quarterback's pocket that greatly impacts his ability to throw a quick game. So I like that, and I think that we we will see that, and we are seeing that interior rushers become an important thing. Uh, I would say, in general, over the next three years of football discourse, one of the things that's going to be really uncovered and hammered is the value of a really good defensive tackle, both in terms of pass rush, push the pocket, take away the quick game, and take away multiple gaps in the running game, allow you to put more numbers in the defensive backfield. So with that overall, I agree. With that said, this phenomenon of quick game nullifying pass rush has been happening for the last few years, Mm -hmm. and we're still out here signing record-setting deals for edge rushers. You know what I mean? Uh, So I think the NFL will continue to love and prioritize edge rushers until the cows come home. I think it'll take significant amount of time or a significant shift uh, in the meta over a significant amount of time for us to really see an impact in salary. Uh, so I don't think we're at that level of a sensation just yet. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that the timeline, certainly in the short term, you're not going to see a, a big change. I mean, you might see, you might see certain teams and situations like say to themselves, Hey, we really need a better interior offensive lineman. Like we are getting whooped up front. Like even if there's, you know, like guys in their similar division who they know they're going to place twice a year who are just whooping them in the middle, like three techs, one techniques, whatever it is, like they're just whooping them on the inside. They might think that they want to prioritize that a little bit more. So maybe that goes to the negotiating table to say like, hey, here's what their market value is. Here's kind of what they're going back and forth at. Let's outbid them by a little bit. And I think that you might see desperations. Desperation is the wrong word. What what am I looking for here? You might see a bigger desire for teams to make bigger splashes with interior offensive line guys when they become available, maybe in the draft, maybe in free agency. But in terms of them being more valuable, both with draft capital and with overall salaries when it comes to second, third contracts, whatever, with offensive tackles, no, I don't see that becoming a thing, at least not for a couple years now. We would really have to see this trend continue to move in uh, in right. a in a big time swing of a direction. Because I, I agree with the fundamentals of what Gage is bringing up. I just think that the NFL is clearly still in the offensive tackles are the more valuable positions, and, and we haven't seen a big change in that yet. So I don't think that we're getting too close. Yeah, so, yeah. this to me is more so of an edge than it is like a full trend at this time. But- yeah. We see how this goes over time. Eli asked this next one. He said, when a player like Trey Lance needs to sit for a year, what exactly would would the benefit to him sitting be? He said, I agree with Ben that he's not a project, but I also want to know what the reason behind this thinking is. Right. So with all players in all situations, the best umbrella answer is some players need to sit, some players don't. And it's, it's not, oh, if you're FCS, you do. And if you're FBS, you don't. If you have this many reps, so on and so forth. It's just conditional on the player. In general, we would expect a player from the FCS level and expect a player with fewer reps, right? Trey Lance is like, whatever it is, 300 career passing attempts, you know, at the college level or something mm-hmm. absurd. Uh, we would expect that player to be more likely to need time on the bench because when we say they need time on the bench, what we're really saying is they should not be starting early. The, the, the moment you put a guy out on the NFL field is what I always har- har- harp on and come back to. 
he's going to start developing answers to the questions. He's going to start developing habits, right? And so you put him out there on the field, and the, the, the speed of play, the caliber of athlete is so different from the FCS level to the NFL level that he starts trying to make throws that he had at the FCS level and he doesn't have at the NFL level. And that's fine. If he played four years and start and threw 1,500 passes, that would still be true. So he starts trying to do that. Can't do it because the, the NFL is so much faster, because the NFL is so much smarter. The athletes mm-hmm. are different. And so he starts to try and find solutions to that problem. And that could be ducking his eyes and tucking and running the moment his first read is covered. That could be immediately going to his check down anytime he doesn't get a, a look that he likes. Maybe those answers even work. Like Trey Lance tucking and running is usually a good answer. But now you fast forward one year, two years. He's been doing this for multiple seasons. He's older now. He's more mature now. He understands NFL defense is better. He should be able to play at that speed and throw to his first read and get through his progressions and, and challenge coverage and know which, which coverages to throw against and which ones not to. But he doesn't. Because for two years, he's been tucking and running. And so what you want to avoid is a player who's you know he's going to come up against problems. You don't want him to develop answers to that problem that become bad habits later, that mm. become limiting habits later. You want him to be ready with all of the answers to the quiz in his hand, at least from a practice perspective, at least from a film study perspective, once you put him out there. So that way when he goes and he tries to make a throw that he shouldn't have made, and, and it's a pick, he can sit down and say, okay, this was supposed to work. This was the coverage that we wanted. This was the look that we wanted. I'm supposed to be able to make this throw. I didn't because I have to speed up my process. As opposed to being like, oh my gosh, I have to win games. I'm the starting quarterback. I was the fourth overall pick. I've got to get out there and do it. So with a guy like Trey Lance, does he need to sit? No. Is there a chance that he and all player, any player, any given player, will have a better learning experience with live bullets because they're just a naturally resilient person and they're, they're, they're good at adjusting on the fly. Yes, there's a chance that, that the best thing for Lance's development will be go out there and make mistakes as long as he's a quick learner and he doesn't habituate and so on and so forth. But what you're trying to avoid is sticking a 20-year-old out there and saying, figure it out. And he goes out there and in the process of figuring it out, he Sam Darnold's himself. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's always throwing off platform and he's always balking under pressure because that's what he learned to do his rookie year mm-hmm. because the Jets weren't ready for him to play and Donald wasn't ready to start. So the Donald is the cautionary tale. You don't want to stick a young player out there who doesn't have good habituated responses to X, Y, and Z and have him learn that on the fly with live bullets against NFL competition because he's going to learn some bad habits and it's very difficult to unteach those later. I completely agree with you. And the two things that I would add is just the, the way that I would approach this question is there are two things that you really want to avoid with a young quarterback coming into the NFL. And that's establishing bad habits, which you definitely outlined right there very, very well. And then the other one, which is, is kind of hand in hand with it. It's uh, breaking confidence. You know, when you have a player and you throw him out there too early, not only does he have a chance to develop some bad habits, but you also have, you put him at risk to really shake his confidence. And if there's anything that doesn't work in the NFL, whether it's a a small quarterback, a tall quarterback, a guy who's mobile, a guy who's a pocket passer, a guy with a big arm, a guy with a more, uh, you know, accurate arm who can't push another, whatever it is, I don't care what kind of archetype you are. If you don't have confidence, you will not win. It does not matter. That's the most important thing to not just playing the quarterback position, but every position in football. You have to be able to play with confidence. And when you get thrown out there, I will just say before you might be ready, then there is a there is a chance that you could ruin that, and unfortunately, sometimes ruin it for good. We're not so some guys bounce back and some guys don't. You just never want to put your starting quarterback, franchise quarterback, especially in the position where he kind of has that. You know, like. Does Trey Lance need to sit? Like you said, like, no. I mean, like, when you when you watch what he's able to do in North Dakota State and you watch how not just athletic he is, not just the tools that he has, but how well he was able to read defenses and scan the field and how smart it seemed like he was with recognition and anticipation. It's like, he's ready. You know, like, he's putting down the baseline of what you would want for a starting young quarterback in the NFL. So I don't think it's terrible. And I also think that every situation is a little bit different. You really have to know the guy that you are drafting. I'll say this, too. I was watching a segment that ESPN was doing with Kyle Trask and I think it was Kirk Herbstreit who was sitting down with Kyle Trask and they were just chatting a little bit and they uh, they brought Peyton Manning into the Zoom meeting and the reason why they did is because Kyle Trask actually attended a Peyton Manning passing academy and they had a picture of when he was like 15 years old which was adorable Mm -hmm. and an awesome kind of full circle thing and 
Peyton was talking about the adjustment that he had going from Tennessee and the SEC to the NFL. And I know the SCF, FCS level with Trey Lance. SFCSF. Consonants. Uh, th- th- that jump is a little bit different than the SEC jump, I think. You're a little bit further and you have a little bit closer 100%. competition with the SEC than you do the, the FCS. But one thing that, that Manning told him, because Kyle Trask asked this question of Peyton specifically. He said, you know, they talk about the game speed of the NFL and what was that like learning that? He asked Peyton Manning this and Peyton said to him, he's like, look, I was told so much about how the game will speed up, how much better the pros were, how much I will not be able to make throws that I made in college in the NFL. And Peyton said, you know what? I overestimated it. There were times when I didn't throw the ball, not because I couldn't, not because I, I thought I couldn't do it, but because just I believe that that's not what you do in this league. Like, you don't attempt those throws in the NFL. And he said that, you know, he kind of jokingly said, I threw the most interceptions of any quarterback in his rookie season of 28. And he said to Kyle, he's like, hey, if you want to break that this past year, uh, by all, <laughs> he's like, by all means, go break my record for me. And obviously he's joking there, but he said that it's a delicate balance. And people often talk about the speed of the NFL game being so different than college football. But Peyton also said that you have to be able to trust what you do well. You have to attempt those passes. You can't get so gun-shy as to turn yourself into a quarterback that you're not because that's really what Peyton was talking about when he was chatting with Kyle Trask about this topic. He said, I turned into a quarterback that I wasn't. I turned into somebody else when I was overestimating and when I was doubting myself and when I had this fear of the jump to the next level. All of that affected Peyton's confidence and that forced bad decisions, bad throws, all this kinds of stuff. And so all of that to say, you are totally right on the bad habits. I think that that's absolutely part of it. I would just add that confidence is a big thing too because you can't, 100%. like you just said with Sam Darnold, you can't throw a guy out there not have answers to the questions of the test that he's currently taking and then expect him to do better on the test the next time he puts the helmet on to go out there. That's just not how it works. And so it all depends on the situation that you're in. Sure, the offense around you matters, but so much matters with the decision makers of when to put you in, when to make you the starter, you know, the, the, the lessons that they know that you're going to have to learn throughout your rookie season, having answers to those lessons when they happen, all of that stuff I think goes into it when it comes to talking about Trey Lance needing to sit or starting right away. I think that all of that and the, the situation goes into it, even more so maybe than Lance himself. All right. That's why I say you, you, you sit down with your team, your coaches, your decision makers, and with the guy. And you say, all right, like, you know, this, this is in the draft room, right? This is in the combine in Indy when you're talking to him. Like, all right, well, if we draft you, we're going to sit you for a year, what do you think? And, like, you know, he's going to 100% be like, oh, I want to compete or whatever for the team, whatever, da, da, da. But you got to talk with him. You got to talk with his family. You got to talk with his coaching staff. Like, the, the pseudo-psych process of the scouting world gets rightly criticized a lot. But one of the most important aspects of drafting a player is figuring out what his developmental arc will be and how he learns yep. and if he will benefit from sitting playing in a rotation playing in sub packages starting so on and so forth because it is uniquely different in my opinion to every player yep totally folks builtbar.com they got the best protein bars on the planet whether yeah, you're they do. whether they're eat you're eating them for breakfast the first thing that you because you know, i know some people don't love a big meal right when they wake up but they're hungry still like they, they they need something either you might be going out the door really quickly you might have a workout that you're about to do a meeting you're about to pop on but you don't have time for a big lunch a big breakfast or maybe you just don't even feel like eating that heavy built bar they've got fantastic protein bars that are Low in calories, low in sugar, but also really high in protein, high in fiber. They're great for you. You could eat them, like I just said, in the morning, before workouts, after workouts. is a meal replacement. You could eat a couple of them. They've got 18 incredible flavors that you could choose from on the website. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED and then 1-5. You'll get 15% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 over at BuiltBar.com for the best tasting protein bars on the planet. Final parts of Fan Friday coming up after the break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. 
All right, going a little bit of rapid fire here. We got a couple, a lot more than a couple, actually, that we wanted to get to because there's some really good questions. Uh, Kyle's the first one here. said, I want a complete and comprehensive report of Ben's thoughts on WandaVision, including the analysis of the greatest and deepest line in cinematic history. Uh, I really enjoyed WandaVision. I, it was nice to be a little bit behind the curve so that people were like, oh, it starts slow, but it, it gets there. Because I think it definitely did. Uh, uh, once they transitioned to color, you start to pick up a little bit. But uh, uh, I, I do think that uh, if it were non-Marvel, it would have struggled to get over that hump the way that it did uh, of the early episodes. I understand what they were doing, and I appreciated it. But I would not have felt motivated to finish it if it wasn't part of the universe. Uh, enjoyed the introduction of sword the intro uh, the, the bringing back of darcy lewis right monica rambo like yep. jimmy Wu, all those characters were fun um i think they they i i would have liked to have seen them give sword a little bit more than like oh it turns out sword kind of sucks like yeah you know like that like you know like shield was very like deep and very interesting in the politics of it sword was pretty one-dimensional so that that, that there was that and, and the slowness those are my major complaints uh Paul Bettany and and uh, and Elizabeth Olsen delivered really they're really wonderful. strong. They, they were wonderful. really really great. Uh, did they they were they were fun. They were zany. Uh, that sort of a show requires you to have uh, to do a lot to, to to have a wide range. And they they were such a hoot. Their their connection was the best part. Uh, watching that as well. Oh no uh, doubt. The the ending uh, meeting Agatha Harkness. Nuggy, chill out. <laughs> meeting Agatha Harkness. She has been staring at us, me for the entire podcast. I started talking. She walked into this office, sat down, has been looking at me the whole time. She's I sent in, you a video. She's intently listening to Fan Friday, man. Come on. She is so mad that I'm paying attention to somebody else that isn't her right now. Uh, so she's Agatha, she, no, she's just yeah. an ally of the pod. She's just listening live, right? Listening live. Agnes Agatha was was tremendous. Yep. The 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 way that they laced her in the the. The storyline to like bring us an actual villain that wasn't just like you know kind of Wanda going through a thing was great. So I thought Agatha was was a great addition. And then certainly, yeah, when you get to, uh, you know, the the climax, which is uh, accepting a, an inevitable interface with grief, uh, is just such a oh, it's very very good. It was very 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 good. It was very well done. It was done in classic Marvel form where it yep. was serious. And it was it was real, and it wasn't too impressed with itself, and it wasn't too uh, hokey with with trembling strings in the background. You know, he, we had obviously that 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 delightful vision line, but it was delivered very simply, and so they were able to make it it real and 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 not too over the top. And then they also sprinkle in like you know, Vision having the ship of Theseus argument with himself. You yes, know what I mean? Yeah, they give which, it some right. minus, right? Which is so so good. It's very very classic, a uh, Marvel touch. Uh, the uh, for 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 Marvel to do a show completely on on grief is what it was on. It was on sadness, loneliness, and loss, uh, and to have it feel as empowering as it did uh, is is very very good. It's just so so good. You you finish that show and you're sad, but you're also like proud of Wanda, even for the fact that she like destroyed an entire New Jersey town over the right. course of like several months. No, uh, and that that's that's awesome. So I I, I thought it was extremely well executed from a uh a, a mission perspective and a voice perspective plotting wasn't perfect but also like they were doing cool things so it was okay uh and and the casting as always was was top notch so well done wandavision was a great time no i agree with you and you know if it was a movie i feel like it would have been shaped a little bit differently like if this was wanda and vision's movie i feel like we wouldn't really have these couple of episodes or little things that, that might have been different right. because it was stretched out for more so if that's i i pictured if it was a singular movie how they really would have been able to Trim the fat, if you will, which I, I didn't even think there was that much because I thought it was a great show. Yeah, it was. It was. It definitely built a little slow, but certainly when you got into it, getting a full story of Scarlet Witch and Wanda Maximoff and you know, you know Vision's character, these were yes Avengers, and in Age of Ultron, they are a prominent role of that movie. But you don't go deep into their character. You really don't. And like even with Infinity War, they are again. They are characters within the Avengers that play a somewhat major role, but you never get real deep into them. And for right. as complex as Wanda's upbringing was and how she got into the Avengers and the things that she is currently dealing with, both with the grief of how she was raised and then, of course, the, the grief of her brother dying, you know, she's figuring out who she is with these powers, all of this stuff. Right. I felt like it just did a, such a wonderful job of navigating Wanda being that, 
but also just what she wanted the most in life was to be normal. Like, that's it. That's all. Like, the whole show was just about her wanting to have that kind of happiness that everyone else gets to have. And she was, you know, her parents were killed when she was young and she was taken by Hydra when she was young. And she all of a sudden was experimented on with the Infinity Stone. And then she joined the Avengers. Now she's wondering, okay, am I good? Am I bad? And there was never, there was never this normal for Wanda. And this show was her trying to do whatever she could to be normal. And then, of course, for Vision, Vision is so many people's favorite Avenger because of how witty and how smart and how brilliant and how pure he is. I I thought they did a fantastic job of Bettany taking on this character and him really bringing that to life as much as they did over the course of this, uh, of, of, of that mini series. And so obviously the line mm-hmm. where it's, you know, what is, what is grief if not love persevering is just absolutely beautiful. And then the final line that they say to each other that we've said goodbye before. So it stands to reason. We'll say hello again. I mean, that's just, yeah. the show was, is so, like you said, emotionally overwhelming. And yet at the end of it all, you know that the other vision, the 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 all white vision who then turned normal, is out there somewhere, and and Wanda has kind of through this journey come face to face with who she really is and how she could be happy and her true identity. Like I thought, all of that, given what we wanted to know about the characters, was just brilliant, and right. I thought it was so well done. Two things that stood out to me the most. I know we're doing rapid fire, but I don't care. Uh, was one uh, learning that. Wanda's powers were like mind stone inspired, which they kind of already knew. You know what I mean? Like we knew the scepter and whatever, right? But we see the moment where like she experiences the mind stone, which is being tested as a as a as a right, teen in Sokovia. Right. Yeah, uh, and that becoming, you know, her realization when when you know uh, uh, Vision asks, "What am I?" and she goes, well, "You are the the piece of the mind stone that was in me. You are my sadness and my hope. You are my love," which is a incredibly neat and accurate way of describing what it's like to love somebody, uh, which is to say, I did not know you from the first day, but now that I know you now, I, I, you've always been with me. I've been connected to you. You are within me, right? You, you are a part of me, right? That, that's what it is to love, right? Is to say, I, I, I married Meredith. She's a beautiful woman. I love her to death. I met her when I was 13. And by the time I was 21, I knew I wanted to marry her, but even from the the first day when I was when I was born here when I was brought here, it was preordained that I was I was to be with you, and I've always been with you and moving towards you, which is uh, as that 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 to me is as as cool and as deep a statement on love as what is love if not grief or what is grief if not love persevering. Right. The other thing that's cool is uh, your power exceeds that of the Sorcerer Supreme. It's your destiny to destroy the world because we know WandaVision's in the upcoming Doctor Strange movie, and yeah. so this is right. Marvel being like, hey, we're about to get into some. <laughs> Yeah, right, movie, right, right. I know it's a it's a it's a uh, uh, a key change there, but I'm so excited for that film. It's gonna be a ton of fun. No, I thought they did a brilliant job with that show. Okay, Mountaintop Scouting asks us this next one. Follow me here, folks. Fourth and goal from the four yard line, one second left, four point game from the 2021 draft class. Who's your QB? Who's the go to scoring option? Who do you want on defense to try to lock down the top receiving option? And which defender makes the game-saving play? My quarterback is Trey Lance. I want as strong of dual-threat running ability as possible, which I have in Lance. Uh, Fields, also perfectly acceptable decision. And also, if you're like really trying to throw it as well on top, Fields probably a better decision-maker right now. Lance actually didn't have a ton of low red zone reps, low red zone like inside the 10 in college. Uh, and so, honestly, Fields might... I'm changing it. Fields is a better answer. Justin Fields. Uh who is my uh, target? Kyle Pitts. Extremely easy. Don't have to think about it right. more than once. Uh, who do I want for coverage opportunities? Uh, the defender that I want to be there is Caleb Farley. Assuming I get 100% of Caleb Farley because I'm getting the size, quickness, and the ball skills blend. What's the fourth one? Uh, who's the defender that makes the game-saving play? That's Farley, right? I mean, or yeah, no, it can that? be. Oh. I mean, if you think, oh, yeah, I right. mean, like, you you could think it's the same. I, I wrote a different name, name down, but yeah, if you're, no, like, throwing you. a goal line uh, fade or something, then yeah. I, I will say Owusu Koromoa. Owusu Koromoa had that one pass breakup against Virginia Tech in the low red zone where, yeah. like, he had no business being on that ball, and he was. He's got some clutch gene to him, so JOK would be my answer. I have Trevor Lawrence as my quarterback, and I initially had Justin Fields here because of just what you said. Like, you want the top running ability, and I think that Justin Fields is obviously a really great pick here, but I also was like, 
Trevor's got so many rushing touchdowns. Like, the dude can scoot. Right. So, I just was like, okay, he's the better quarterback. I'm going to pick the better quarterback because he's got the legs, too. Uh, go-to guy is Kyle Pitts. There's not a debate here. You're right. Lockdown player, I went with J.C. Horn. I didn't go with Caleb Farley, but you're right. I guess a fully healthy Caleb Farley makes sense there as well. J.C. Horn's got plenty of experience going up against a variety of different receivers. And, you know, when you're talking about limited space there, him being physical, getting his arm on guys, being physical really from the snap all the way to probably the catch point, it's just going to be really natural for him, and he's going to be aggressive with it, and I think he's going to take a lot of pride in shutting down that rep. Defender that makes the play, I also have Jeremiah Uusu-Koromoa for a variety of different reasons, but just speed and ability to ID and coverage, I think were two of them. So that was a good one. Chris uh, Christian asked this one, call your shot. What will be the craziest, most unexpected selection in the first round? Which player, what team? From the guy who brought you Darnell Savage to the Packers and Clyde Edwards-Alaire to the Chiefs. Are you ready, Trevor? Yes. I'm, I'm making my stamping it down. Okay. This is it. Okay. Jason Oway to the Browns. All right. I feel Freak like it's not craziest forward. though. What's yours? Well, I have two. I have two potential trade ups. Like I have the. I, for some reason, think the NFL is lower on Rashad Bateman than we are. Like, we, I feel like, would be comfortable taking Rashad Bateman anywhere from, like, 15 to 25. I feel like the NFL is more so, like, 20 to 30-ish. Um, and if Bateman makes it to a certain point, like 26, 27, 28, with those teams who might want to trade back, I genuinely have, like, I have Philadelphia looking up. Like, I have Philly to potentially move up for Rashad Bateman if he gets close enough to the back end of the first round because I think that Philly is not going to have a chance to get Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. I wonder if they'll have a chance to get Jalen Waddell. And even if Jalen Waddell's on the board, maybe they go with cornerback instead or maybe an offensive lineman. I don't know how, you know, just from the talks that you and I have had, I don't know how in on Devontae Smith the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be. So I feel like they might not go receiver at 13 or 12. And if that's the case... I genuinely think that Philly's going to be staring at Rashad Bateman, waiting for him mm-hmm. to fall. And so Eagles have eleven picks in this draft as well, a ton of day three gaps. Right. So that's a that's that's one that I'm looking at, and the other one I'm looking at is either the Detroit Lions or Atlanta Falcons trading back up into the first round for safety Javon Holland. That's more my more crazy one. Javon Holland first round. Uh, that's, that's crazier than OA, yeah. Yeah, I you, you know, it was a call your shot, craziest moment. So, yeah, I think that Detroit and Atlanta are two teams with massive safety needs. They're not going to take one with their first selection. They could be looking to move up at the back end of the first round. And I do think there's going to be a handful of teams in the league that really like Javon Holland. All right, I uh, looking real quick at a list of guys with odds to go in the first round plus odds for Landon Dickerson, Terrace Marshall, Jason always plus a hundred. So it's even odds. Okay. Samuel, Joe Tryon, Nick Bolton, Eric Stokes, Kelvin Joseph, Jalen Mayfield, Rondell Moore, Ronnie Perkins. I could see Rondell Moore. I could see more maybe for yeah. sure. with his athletic testing, a team like green Bay, uh, Baltimore, maybe, but uh, Green Bay loves height, weight, speed, so he'd have to be an exception. But like a team being like, we do not care that he's five, seven. This guy's absolutely nuts. So more I could see. Um, Ben asked this one, another Ben. Rank these sandwiches. Hamburger, taco, tortellini. God, I hate you. Calzone, Pop-Tart. Jesus. I put this one in I wanna, for you. I want to jump out the window when I just read <laughs> Tortellini. The longer I read it, the more I was like, I'm sending this just to piss Trevor off. God, I'm okay, gonna so jump out of the window. My rankings. Uh number six is uh pop tart pop tarts definitely not a sandwich and also like pop tarts are fine but they're not better than actual how food. is it number six because there's only five stick with me five <laughs> is five is tortellini delicious but also not even remotely a sandwich four is calzone not as good as tortellini but closer to being a sandwich than tortellini is uh three is taco extremely far from being a sandwich like maybe the most non-sandwich of all of them it's not open-faced hard no tortellini is the most not sandwich out of all of them tortellini at least like has some verticality to it you can't put a taco on its side right tortellini like from top to bottom goes like you know grain filling grain i know what it goes i know what it goes right you're not eating a sandwich vertical anyway taco three uh because really really good but also not a sandwich hamburger two the best tasting and also the most sandwichy of all the listed ones 
And number one is an actual freaking sandwich because none of these are sandwiches. We have the same order. Pop-Tart, Tortellini, Calzone, <laughs> Taco, and Hamburger. So, yeah. Uh, okay, which we're, we're staying on the food train here. Which of the following British foods do you do you think sounds the most appealing and why? you got to rank the top five. got bangers and mash, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, cottage pie, fish and chips, and corned beef hash. All right, of, so of the ones here that I know, uh, because I, I know I like bangers and mashes. So for me, it's five cottage pie. Oh, man, if that's cottage cheese and a pie crust, we're in trouble. That's not good. Four <laughs> Yorkshire puddings. I know that like pudding means something different in England. I just don't know what it actually means. And Yorkshire makes me think of like the only other thing I know that's Yorkshire is like a Yorkshire terrier. So I don't that doesn't sound good. Uh, the roast beef sounds delicious. Three is corned beef hash. I love corned beef hash. Two is fish and chips. Absolutely delicious. Best way to prepare fish. One is bangers and mash. Bangers and mash sounds hilariously tasty and is also hilariously tasty. We only have a switch of the top spots. I got cottage pie at number five, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding at four, corned beef hash at three. I say Yorkshire, not Yorkshire. 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 Uh, number two, I got bangers and mash just because, yeah, I, I mean, I'd freaking try it. I don't know. And then number one is fish and chips. I was surprised that wasn't your number one. I love fish and chips, but bangers and mash I, for the name as well sounds the most appealing. Bangers and mash just sounds like it'd be a fun thing to eat. Uh, Alex asked this one uh, for Fan Friday. You and Ben should rank each of the top five quarterbacks in the draft according to Barney Stinson, of course the character from How I Met Your Mother, with a short reasoning with each rank. Any trait that goes, not just football ability. Um, I didn't rank them. I instead have three quarterbacks in which I have three Barney Stinson quotes for them. You okay, ready? let's hear it. Okay. Trevor Lawrence is the obvious one because it's going to be legend, wait for it, dairy. I feel like that just has to go with Trevor Lawrence because we've oh, talked about him for the last three years. So I feel like that's got to be the Trevor Lawrence one. Zach Wilson, I have the quote, believe it or not, I wasn't always as awesome as I am today. Right. Yeah. Come on. That's a good one. And then for Justin Fields, I have, quote, it's like the universe said, hey, this guy's cool, but I want you to make him awesome, as if he's talking to Kyle Shanahan. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good one. It work? All right, so those are my Do you three. have thoughts on the uh, How I Met Your Father, Hulu, Hillary Duff situation? I mean, I I don't think I'm going to watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm 0% interested in it, if that answers your question. Yes, that answers my question. Okay, we have two questions left that we're going to get to. One, Matt asked this one. He said, obviously, with it being six days away from the draft, I'm sure y'all will get countless NFL draft questions, so I thought I'd mix it up and go back to a Marvel question. We got to be quick with this one, Ben. Is it possible that Doctor Strange lied to Tony? If he did, he's a prick. (laughs) Imagine, he met Tony in that movie, and like he and Tony were going after each other a little bit the whole time, and so he sees and is like, all right, there's 19 ways we can do this. Like, I'm going to pick this one where you die, and I'm going to tell you it's got to be this one. (laughs) That would be that would be pretty genius. I don't I don't think that he lied to Tony though. No, uh, this last question it's from another Ben. Uh, why do you think that athletic pass catching tight ends like Darren Waller and Kyle Pitts stay at tight end and not end up moving to wide receiver instead? Athletic pass catching tight ends usually end up being more of a liability than an asset in blocking situations, and it's hard to use the argument that they should quote provide more mismatches on the field when teams are always going to be accounting for. Those kind of guys week in and week out. Thanks, man. You and Ben are kick-ass. Appreciate it, Ben. Yeah, we are. What was the question? I just heard the end. No. Uh, (laughs) Do you actually want me to repeat it? No, 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 no. I got you. At the end of the day, right, it is surprising to see them put a tight end. You expect top athletes to be funneled to wide receiver or if they're really big defensive end. Uh, So something that I actually heard mentioned about Kyle Pitts is like, we can't believe this guy didn't make the defensive end given his athleticism. Uh, So I... Darren Waller was a college receiver who, who's kind of experienced the transition. Pitts, obviously, college tight end. People are talking about playing at wide receiver. How many snaps is he going to take? I think, in general, there's not enough really good athletes at tight end to, like, have a sample size for this question. You know what I mean? In general, yes, you're right. They wouldn't end up at tight end. Sometimes they make it there. And, and when they do, yes, it's all about how creatively you're going to use them and how much you're going to line them up actually at wide receiver to kind of make them uh, into a as dominant of a pass-catching threat as they can be. So uh, I, I think that like the question is interesting, but if there were more really good athletes being put in at tight end, 
it would be more interesting to me. I think the only other thing there that's kind of like worth in investigating is the whole like basketball player to tight end thing. But again, like basketball players, especially if you're, if you're bringing like a, a five or a, a power forward or something in, then they're just going to have a, a thick body type. And so you're going to want to put them in the line of scrimmage as opposed to on the outside. So right. I don't know. To me, it's it's just sometimes there's unicorns is the best answer. Right. No, I, I agree with you. And I think that you, you have a potential where if you got have a guy who is not that much of a liability as a blocker, like then all of a sudden, if you put him in multi-tight end sets and you're running a lot of play action, like you could really start to mess with defenses. Like you could really get these guys matched up with players that have no business trying to cover them. Like you, you can really throw a big wrench into whatever the defense is trying to do with these chess piece players. If they're lined up on the line of scrimmage, they're close to box defenders. You're getting things a little bit cluttered. You can spread it out a little bit more. It probably gives up more space for the wide receivers on the outside. Like there's a lot of stuff that could happen there, but you're right. If, if they're a liability as a blocker, then certainly you just want them more as a big slot player. But I don't think that's the case with some of these other guys. It just depends. I think it's uh, case by case. All right, there we go. That's Fan Friday, everybody. That's the, it. The last Fan Friday that we'll ever do. Before the you 20, can't end a, a before, Fan Friday without... That's it! That's it! There it is. All right, now Fan Friday's over. Last Fan Friday we're ever going to do before the 2021 NFL Draft. Uh, we're probably not going to do a Fan Friday next week. Uh, it will probably be two weeks before we do the next one, which that one, the mailbag better be stuffed to the brim because that'll be post-draft. Everything will be in. We want to hear about your opinions of what your team was was doing on draft night, whether you loved it or hated it. We have the final two episodes of our guest mock draft series coming up for you guys over the weekend. Same thing, episode on Saturday, episode on Sunday. Ben and I will be together for a live episode of Locked On NFL Draft starting on Monday morning. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.